0: Hello and welcome to the first ever Beers for Bacon Show. I'm Jason Black, and for the next 30 minutes I'm talking food and drink and having a little bit of kitchen fun while I'm at it. So what is the Beers for Bacon Show? Well it's a food show that's filled with cookbook reviews, wine, and loads of old cobblers, the dessert variety of course. I've got culinary trivia from A through to Z in our alphabet soup, and now and again heating up the oil to fry a few marketing maestros. You know the ones, those who promise that we'll go from making mom's mashed potatoes to Michelin-starred meals just by using their gadgets. For good measure, we'll also have some cocktails and little bits of juicy gossip. Everything to be taken with a pinch of salt. For our first show, I've brought along a cookbook that I can't live without. It's one of those classics that should be on every kitchen bookshelf. I'll share a few basic recipes that you should be making at home, not buying from the supermarket, and a little later on, I'll get you doing a dessert with a recipe for apple cobbler. It's easy to do, so you should put on your baking apron. For measurements, don't worry about grabbing a pen. I've popped them up on the Beers for Bacon Facebook page with easy-to-follow steps just in case you get stuck. Like us there, and we'll love you back with tips, tricks, and all of the recipes from our show. Today we're testing our first kitchen gadget with hong kong's best baker and pastry chef greg wami show now it isn't a gadget that he'd normally use in the bakery but is it groundbreaking enough to stay there forever that's up in a bit so don't miss it first up i'd like to introduce you to our beers for bacon burgundy bloodhound aka wine expert jc viens thanks for coming along jc to the first ever beers for bacon show
1: how are you doing I'm excited, Jason. I'm excited. Tell us all about you. Well, Jason, you know, my wife is so depressed now because my passion for wine has become an obsession. So the poor girl, I mean, the reason she's so depressed is one year, she didn't know what to offer me for Christmas. So she went next door to a deli and she was chit-chatting to, uh, to the owner. He happens to be Italian, like my wife. And he said, look, why don't you offer him a wine course? And so she thought it was great because I loved wine. I love eating, in fact. And so she offered me that wine course and then I decided to take another wine course and then after that, another wine course. And then I started to realize that learning about wine is actually difficult. Uh, it doesn't sound like it, but there are so many things to learn. It's crazy. So uh, I heard uh, at the same moment that people say, or Confucius apparently said, if you want to learn... Um, Read, if you want to master, teach. And so I said, okay, I have some trouble with my studies at that moment, and I decided to teach about wine. And so I came to you, Jason. In fact, you were helping me at the beginning, very helpful. It was a
0: long time ago.
1: Long, long time ago. And you offered me a space and to teach about wine, and I decided to put together these crazy courses. You remember we did this, uh, this event, uh, uh, wine dating.
0: That's right, upstairs at Zest. Exactly. God, that was in 2006. Going exactly,
1: wow. and it was great. It was the same principle as speed dating, but people uh, were tasting wine and meeting each other. So, at that moment, I discovered actually that perhaps my real passion was talking, and talking about wine is double trouble. And so this is why suddenly it became an obsession And the poor Maria now today say Every single vacation we're always going on a wine trip When are we going to the beach? And so um, I guess I can can be here to relate some of these stories Do you
0: you think it's fair to say that Maria's only got herself to blame?
1: Ah, the little darling, she's (laughs) a darling (laughs) She loves wine as much though Yes, actually, she she does. But, you know, Maria is very clever because her passion is tango. And so now, every time we go on a wine trip, she finds places to go dance tango. Imagine, we even went to visit wineries in Lebanon, and she found a place to go dance tango in Lebanon. This was incredible. Next place we went is we went to Sicily in the middle of absolutely nowhere. And then as we were talking to this producer, uh, this wine producer, uh, the lady says, oh, my friend also loves tango. And by the way, there's a tango party tonight. Imagine, you're in the middle of the countryside. We were two and a half hours drive from the next big city and they were all dancing tango in a winery. (laughs) This was unbelievable. And so... For her, in fact, she finds this exciting. So my passion for wine and her passion for tango is actually uh, becoming more and more uh, intertwined. intertwined. And, uh, Excellent. Takes two to tango, I suppose. Takes two to love wine.
0: I tell you what, let's talk a bit about Lebanese
1: wine. In fact, uh, this is a fascinating place. Lebanon, I was so stunned. Maria is in love with the Middle East, and this is the reason we went there in the, to begin with. But I was also studying for the Master of Wine and in those days, and it was important for me to find a way to do travel and study for wine. So I scheduled a meeting with Musar, and Gaston Onchat was not supposed to be there at all. And anyway, I said, for me, uh, is Chateau Musard is very uh, iconic. So we arrived there and the winemaker brought us downstairs and he started to make us taste from this barrel and that barrel. And suddenly there was a big silence and I didn't understand what was going on. A big silence, and then it was very strange because there we are in Lebanon. There is always a little bit of of, of stress for some reason because the history of Lebanon is so so packed with uh, incidents. And suddenly, from afar, we see a shadow coming towards us, and then this shadow became clearer and clearer, and it was Gaston Ochar himself appearing out of totally nowhere in the winery. And believe me. The effect was so amazing, it was like an apparition, you know? And and and, and it, for me it was really exciting because this guy is a legend, okay? Uh unfortunately he passed away last year, but but uh, being such a legend that he actually took time to come and meet us was wonderful. And Gaston uh was so charming straight away, laser beam on Maria. And he started to be so charming with her and so lovely. And with me, he gave me so much face and gave us the opportunity to taste this, taste that, and went in the cellar where they keep all this wine, uh, 1970s, 1950s, 1940s. And uh, he opened this bottle and that bottle. That was such an experience meeting this man. And... What is stunning about wines from Lebanon, Jason, is that these guys were making wine during the Civil War. They didn't stop one vintage. And what we have to understand is that the winery of Chateau Musar is in Beirut. And the Civil War had trouble in Beirut, of course. But the vines and the grapes are grown in the Becca Valley. And the Becca Valley are two and a half hours away uh, over the mountains, so you can imagine the civil war is raging. Syria is very strong in that part of the country, in 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 the Bekaa Valley. But they still find a way to get their grapes back to the winery and still make wine year after year after year. And this is perhaps testament of their of their power. This this testament of their of 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 the mythical aspect of this wine is to be able to. Uh, to, to have the show go on as, as, as uh, someone would say and still make wine because you care. I mean, talk about being obsessive. These wines are an acquired taste. Many people actually don't like Musar's wines because, first of all, he is the first one to have started the what we call the natural wine movement, where they put minimal amount of sulfites in the wine. Therefore, the wines may seem very funky, a little bit animal, a little bit musky. And many people like wine that are fruity, uh, easy access. This one is not completely easy access. And because of that, there are also some bottle variations. Sometimes uh, a bottle may not uh, age beautifully the way another will age beautifully. So this is why we have to give tolerance. So when we, have, we open a bottle of Musar Chateau Musard, we are going on an adventure. We are pretty sure what we are going to get, but something may be a little bit different.
0: Fascinating stories from JC You'll be back next Saturday with some more wine stuff. Now, I've always been a sucker for gadgets for my own hobbies. When I took a Land Rover around southern Africa, I had it kitted out with things I never, ever used. Tools for digging holes that could double up as a defense against swamp monsters. Things that I plugged into a cigarette lighter that quietly drained the car battery while I was fast asleep. And when the aviation bug bit me, I was exactly the same. It was, ooh, flashing lights, cool noises, and it has a moving map. Yeah, I have to have one of those. Gadgets are a huge business in every hobby, be it off roading, flying, gardening, or even cooking. I guess when you've worked in kitchens your whole life and you know that you can get by with a sharp knife and a few basic items, the kitchen gadgets are less appealing, but some really do make life easier. I reckon if you open your cupboards, you'll find a few dusty inventions that don't ever see daylight i have a few that i've bought on impulse thinking i'll get around to using some i love like my pasta machine although i've got a ravioli making attachment that i've never used it's just much easier by hand with a spoon and an egg wash brush for our first gadget test i gave chef greg wami show one of those avocado slices you know those sort of things that you'd find in the dollar store what does he really think as a chef about all of these quick-fix gadgets?
2: Pretty much a reason to sell things, extra things that to a housewife that they don't need. Okay. Um, I mean, uh, when, you, when you look at the, the things you brought today... Um, Just so you know, that's not
0: Gregoire teaching one of his staff how to do something. They're actually making croissants in the back.
2: We are not beating... Uh, people up so yes uh, the, uh, the, uh, f- to, to me uh, kitchen, kitchen gadgets mostly like uh, I mean the, the things you brought today for example uh, reminds me of those uh, my mother orders these at home uh, they, they have a catalog they, they receive at home a catalog uh, all the housewife and they, oh look this one uh, I can uh, slice banana with this and, and I don't need to use a knife and, and so on you know so it's just a convenience that I believe they don't need but it looks very interesting because it makes one of their common tasks become, uh, seems easier.
0: So if gadgets are designed to make things easier and save time
2: and do the job better why are they not used in professional kitchens? Um, Because I think uh, you can actually do uh, the same or better with uh, just a paring knife. No, uh, right. When you're a professional, uh, you actually don't need uh, tools like this. Like I was saying, it looks like a, a Pokemon or a, a, a alien shape thing, and um, or a torture tool. Like you put people's finger in this, and then mm. it peels skin off and so on. But <laughs> any, anyway, it, uh, it's supposed to be for uh, avocado, for uh, opening, cutting avocado, removing the pit, and then slicing them into slices I yep. guess.
0: Okay so I reckon what we do is give it a go. I'll, I'll hold your microphone All right, cool. and uh, let's see how you go. I mean you are so one of the best pastry chefs in Hong Kong so if you can't make this work uh, and yeah those are the best overs I could find.
2: So um, I remove the butt. What do I do? I use Beautiful. the blade to uh,
0: cut it in half. Yeah.
2: <laughs> So yeah, if I can live comment on the use, the handle is totally not appropriate to, to the human hand. okay, like you, you hold this like you're holding a, a, uh, a rolling pin, and, and you've,
0: you've got huge hands to start with.
2: Yeah, but basically you're, you're slicing something with a rolling pin in your hand, so yeah. that's not, not, not
0: for delicate hands.:
2: Yeah, I, I twist it, so the cutting is not very uh, clean, clean yeah. then I use the the pit remover.
0: Okay, it's so got rather sharp blades in it, so let's see if they will actually bite the pip. Okay. Okay,
2: okay. that works. It
0: does work, okay. All right, okay. and now the last part of the tool is actually about scooping the flesh out and cutting the flesh.
2: So here we go. Is it this way or this way? I don't know, it's you're a the pastry chef. So yes. this way seems to be sharper.
0: Okay. Okay. I think they've forgotten that avocado is a weird shape
2: So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's the, uh, the result okay. uh, So, so, so I, I think this thing at the end is useless So the only uh, thing that's really worked Is taking the pip out The pit out, yeah, that's a great tool But, but the slices, the, the avocado Is not a u- uniform shape, right? Yep. It's, uh, yeah It's narrow, it like narrow and large and, and so this tool doesn't work I mean, if you make guacamole, maybe it's okay because you, you're gonna mash this up. But but if you want, and and this is advertised as making nice slices. But I, I'm gonna try the other half just for fun. But then we can have guacamole. So
0: yeah, and it seems to waste a lot of avocado.
2: Yeah, there is a uh, flesh left inside, and then it's not. Uh, no, I, you I wouldn't, wouldn't I, be able to serve that to anybody. I, I wouldn't know what to do with this besides puree um, yeah. guacamole so
0: honestly on a scale of one to ten our avocado machine well
2: uh, avocado gadget um one to ten yeah. um uh, well i'll give it two for the pit
0: two for the pit
2: yeah and zero for the slicing and maybe one one or two for the cutting
0: so we could say about three out of ten on average
2: three and a half yeah
0: That was Chef Greg Wami Show. He's not a massive fan of our gadget. I guess we're going to find that with most chefs we chat to. And there's nothing wrong with doing it for a little bit of fun. If you have a gadget that you love or loathe or something that you were given as a gift and don't really know how to use, please share a photo of it with us on our Facebook page. I'll see if I can find one of our city's best chefs to road test it for you. Like gadgets, cookbooks have become as popular as chocolate. I've collected thousands over the years and they're a great source of inspiration to everyone who loves cooking, no matter the level of experience. Now, I'm old school when it comes to cookbooks. I like to be able to hold them, flip them backwards and forwards. And I can't be doing that on the whole Kindle cookbook thing, even though for other genres, Kindles are awesome. While I'm at it, let me add a quick Beers for Bacon public service announcement here. Please support our bookshops, you don't have to do everything online, you know. For today, I've taken Escoffier's Complete Guide to Modern Cookery off my bookshelf. I think it's brilliant, but be warned, it isn't one of those cookbooks that are full of pretty pictures. There's no hashtag food porn photos, and there's no fancy foams or modern chemicals. Some of the recipes are extravagant. Beef... Truffle, foie gras and things like that must have been much cheaper back then. There's a lot of butter and cream, salt and hell yeah, there's recipes that contain gluten. It was how they rolled in those days. Hmm. Seriously though, if you are looking for a book that'll teach you the backbone of French technique, this is the one I suggest you start with. It's got soups, sauces, vegetables, fish, meat and even desserts. And not a single recipe with a bloody chefy twist. Escoffier's Guide to Modern Cookery has the important foundations of flavor, great stocks, classic preparations, and of course, all of the so called mother sauces, one of which we'll get to in a minute. Don't be intimidated by the sheer size of this book. It's an easy read, and once you master the techniques, you'll end up with an outstanding repertoire of recipes that are sure to impress your foodie friends forever. Once again, I'm talking about the Escoffier Culinary Guide. Much of what we see on supermarket shelves is frankly rubbish. Often they're so simple to make at home, and I go quality over convenience any day. And more often than not, it's actually a lot of fun to do. In my book, nothing compares to real mayonnaise made at home. It's a mother sauce that you can flavor to suit whatever you're eating. It's the same for salad dressings, easy to whiz up and a million miles away from those bottles of bleh. Here are two basics that will keep in the fridge for whenever you need them. Check out the Beers for Bacon Facebook page for the recipes if you don't have a pen handy. For mayonnaise, you'll need two egg yolks, a whole egg, a teaspoon of sugar, a quarter teaspoon of white pepper, 750 ml of oil, a little bit of mustard, some wine vinegar, lemon juice and a good pinch of salt. It's so simple. You put the yolks, the egg, mustard sugar and salt into a mixer, and whiz it on medium speed. The important thing is to slowly drizzle in the oil. Now that's the secret. You need it to emulsify. If it gets too thick early on, thin it down with a little bit of lemon juice and vinegar. And when all the oil is added, chuck in the remaining vinegar and seasoning, and you're done. I told you it was easy. If you can master mayonnaise, you can even master hollandaise. Think of it as a warm mayonnaise. Another classic sauce is vinaigrette. I went along and asked Hong Kong's best chef, Richard Ekabas for his secrets.
3: The golden rule for a good dressing is to buy good ingredients. Absolutely. You know, you need a good olive oil and you need a good vinegar. And vinegar actually is very common. There's a lot of bad bad vinegars, very sour, very sharp. So you need to buy a good vinegar um, because that's that's th- that will bring the character to the dressing. So one of my favorite, we work a lot with it, it's... Uh, uh, mature mature uh, sherry vinegar uh it's definitely not inexpensive as a dressing but it is or as a vin- as a vinegar but it's it's definitely one of the finest and you can combine it with meat you can combine it with fish without a problem it's very versatile then buy a good olive oil you need to have a good extra virgin olive oil if you use pomace uh, olive oil so olive oil that has been extracted through heating a little bit the the uh, it's not good. It doesn't have a really nice taste. It's actually a foul taste. Even for grilling, I would not use it. Um, so you need to use an extra virgin olive oil. And you don't find the, that, that the uh, extra virgin olive oil overpowers the flavor, or is it relatively light? Not necessarily. It depends. I mean, we have certain olive oils. We use about 10 different olive oils in our kitchen. Wow. And actually, for every olive oil, we have a different utilization. There's certain olive oils I wouldn't use for dressing because what, what, what you need to look for is a, is a fruity, lighter... Uh, extra virgin olive oil you know um, and this is uh, Chateau Estoublon so it's it's from the south of France so um, and it's a mono very, uh, a mono variety uh, olive oil so it's only made with one single variety of olives so so there's a lot of character to it but it's not bitter but again the bitterness that is actually uh, quite good good because it's it shows that there's a lot of polynol which is very healthy for you so that little spicy peppery uh, sometimes a little bit bitter aftertaste is actually very healthy for you. If you have olive oil that has a lot of polynol, then you have that very strong peppery on your palate in the aftertaste. So it's actually very good for you. So it's an antioxidant. Okay. So simple. Uh, we do we do one spoon. Now you you have you know I'm the laziest chef at home, and and I would make I would take the bowl in which I eat the salad, and I would make the dressing in it. So very simple. So if you make a nice big sort of meal salad. You know, and you I, make you make your dressings every time you make a salad. Yeah, every time you make a salad, it takes you. It's it's a, it's a matter of s- seconds. You don't even need a whisk. You can use a fork to mix it. No you gadgets want, for the dressing. No gadgets. You don't need a whisk either. <laughs> so um, very rapidly. So um, one to three. So I will take a full big tablespoon, one and a half. I will take sort of one and a half tablespoon of olive oil. Uh, that's for one salad, one meal salad. I take half a tablespoon. Of sherry dressing, sherry vinegar, sorry, and then we have a sherry dressing. You would put in a little bit of salt, a little bit of pepper. And and of course, if you make a big quantity, you first put in the vinegar, you put you put on top the mustard, and then you mix in the vinegar. But within such a small quantity, there's no real real hassle. And it's very easy to emulsify. And then you do just a little bit of, of mustard. That can be a sharp mustard. It could be a pommery mustard, so a grain mustard. Uh, I use here a Dijon mustard, a little bit sharper. could be an English mustard if you want to have something a little bit more spicy with pork or whatever. And basically with the fork, you basically mix everything together. And that's it. I mean, how long did that take? And now you basically put on top of the dressing, you put your lettuce leaves and you fold in the lettuce leaf and uh, your salad is ready. Now, a variety on this, if you want to do another one. Same amount of olive oil, same amount of vinegar, then use a little bit of pommery pommery mustard, the gill so half half a tablespoon uh, half a teaspoon, and you add half a teaspoon of honey so you have a honey mustard dressing very very easy and again that's great with um you know salads like a frise a little bit bitter you know you have that sweetness with the bitter that really works well so you know I'm ready, my salad is ready, so now you can add. You know, you could add a a little bit of shallots. You can add a little bit chopped uh, uh, cornichons or little gherkins if you want. Um, The salad is the the easiest and the most healthy food, and you have a a million options within your own fridge, you know. Um, If you like a little bit spicy, you can chop a little chili through it, a little bit of ginger. So there's many options that you could... Uh, work from with this salad,
0: and if you uh, stick to the one-two-three rule, that'll apply irrespective of the strength of the vinegar or the oil.
3: No, then we, we we really talk about vinegars that are of good quality, like in this case, which is an aged vinegar. If you have, uh, in general, a cheaper vinegar, it doesn't mean because it's expensive, it's 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 better. That's not always the golden rule, but uh, in this case, that that really works. If you have a sharper vinegar, like a white vinegar, which I would not really recommend anybody to use unless it is for cleaning or it is for uh, for 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 putting you know onions in sour or something to pop them uh, i would not use white on, white, white vinegar uh, it's too strong it's it's it has it not lo- a lot of char- character uh, these kind of vir- vinegars and we in general work with italian and french vinegars they are just simply the best and if you go to places like grades and and city super you will find them you know in a, in a big variety you know you have white wine you have champagne you have red wine and then you have the fancy one the italian barolo and and so on sort of it's really from one single wine variety that they make vinegar in general they are more softer not as sour not as not as crisp um and you can actually just tasted in it its own it's, it's actually very pleasant uh, if you have cheaper vinegars then in general they would be very 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 sour
0: how easy was that Better than buying it in a bottle, for sure. That was Richard Ekebus with a classic vinaigrette. Now, I want to do what I call alphabet soup. Each week, I'm going to take a handful of culinary terms and stir them up a bit. Of course, today it's going to be A. <laughs> So A is for al dente. You know that slight bite you should expect from perfectly cooked arborio rice or pasta like annulati, a version of folded ravioli. If you're having dinner and you're scraping pasta or rice off the back of your teeth, you should be asking yourself, is this pasta undercooked? And it probably is. Al dente is firm, but definitely cooked. A is also for aspic, a dish that's set in jelly derived from really good meat or fish stock. It's a classic preparation invented by Anton Karem. It adorned whole sides of salmon and a variety of meat dishes continuing to wobble deliciously on buffet tables all the way through the 50s, 60s, 70s and even into the early 80s. And A is also for arugula, which we know as rocket. Strangely enough, the Americans have come up with the arugula term. And I find that quite weird because it actually has the letter U in it twice. They've got a sort of a history of taking the U out of our English words. But don't worry, because we take the P out of theirs. And last but not least, A is also for arrowroot, a starch that's used for thickening sauces. It's very much like cornstarch, but with the added bonus of being great for treating Arrow wounds. So, if you do happen to be working in the kitchen and you have an arrow stuck in you, you know how to fix it, and you're plainly working in the wrong kitchen. More of that next week. So, we're nearly at the end of our first Beers for Bacon show. Now, I'm sure it's got you in the mood to cook, so here is an end of winter belly warmer that works a treat for four. You'll need apples, sugar, cinnamon, nutmeg, lemon, vanilla, some citrus, flour, baking powder, and an egg. Now, what you're making is what I promised right in the beginning. It's a cobbler. You've got to flavor your apples with the spices and the citrus, then make a topping with the flour, egg, baking powder and butter. It takes about 45 minutes to bake a cobbler and it's delicious with thick cream or simply ice cream. The full recipe with all of the other recipes from today's show are on the BS for Bacon Facebook page. You're welcome to share your own tips and tricks with us or if you do have any questions that you'd like answered, send me a message. That's it for today. We're back next week with Joey Surgeon-Takis from Mr. and Mrs. Fox. He's testing a gadget you should get. J.C. JCVNs will be back with more Wicked Wines, and we've got another cookbook. This one has pictures. I'll be doing recipes for bread and beef, and we've even got the George Bush of vegetables, just for giggles. Yeah, I'm only going to share that joke with you next week. From me, Jason Black, have a great week.